there's great beauty in decay, and when I've spent my final days, I hope that when they call my lot, I can afford the grace to rot. The thing about words is that they only wield the power you give them. The bulbs of spring, for example, is nothing but a story of flowers. But once you point out that there is more, that there is something to hide, then and only then do readers see that it is actually a story of hope. Because most readers are blind to that which they consume, and those that can see are beyond your reach anyways. So tell me, when I speak, do you hear a story of hope? A story of criticism and damnation of that which controls you? Or do you hear a story of flowers? Of fungus growing in the dark, thriving on that which is discarded, that which is dying? There is great beauty in decay, and when I've spent my final days, I hope that when they call my lot, I can afford the grace to rot. Fellow citizens, do you ever wonder at the beauty that is our city? Do you ever fall in love with her all over again when the plants once again begin to turn green? the flowers to blossom? With allergies all but eliminated by our wonderful governmentally sponsored scientists, I find that spring is truly the most beautiful of the seasons. It's like you can feel the city coming alive again, sprouting from the earth to turn over. Esther, why do you bother listening to him? I find his voice soothing. He always talks about such lovely things. Most of it is bullshit. That doesn't make talking of spring less lovely, dear. Sometimes you just take things at face value. Never been good at them. That doesn't surprise me. The neon-lit fog outside the door provided a stunning backdrop for the woman that entered. She had long, white blonde hair tied in a ponytail on top of her head, a fancy, flowing calf-length skirt, bright red heels, a nice peacoat, and a slightly crooked-toothed smile. One of her canines protruded just enough to make a dent on her lower lip, which only served to accent the sweetness of her dimples. She all but bounded across the room, planting a solid kiss on my cheek and beaming Esther her megawatt smile. Mr. Boy, it's always a pleasure. Hey, Jack! Miss Rose, it's nice to see you again. Hey, Elle. What are you dressed up for? And what are you doing here this early in the morning? Thought I'd come by to see my favorite detective. Try again. I missed your lovely face and wanted some sunshine on this foggy day. <laughs> all right, all right, I need your help with something. There we go. Though your face is still lovely. Elle winked, brushing by me and into my office. It's nice to see that it's working out with Esther. Yeah, it's been good to have her around. I don't have to worry as much about calling people back. Never has been your strong suit. Agreed. All right, Elle. What's up? 
I've got a lead. On what? I looked down at the tablet that she slid across the desk, immediately noting the circular symbol with a check mark in the top. It was a symbol well known throughout certain circles in the lower. The brand of the 1210. They were the closest to rebels that you could get in satellite, and had a tendency to bounce between subterfuge and explosives, depending on who was leading them at the moment. I was about as interested in helping Al with the 1210 as I was in helping Delilah smuggle illegal mods. L. I've told you before, I'm not interested in taking the train. I know, Jack, and I'm not here to convince you to get a ticket. I'm here because I've got a lead on an item of interest and I need some help getting it. What kind of help? Well, like I said, I've got a lead, but I don't know the actual location of it yet. What is it? A book. A book? Yeah. The Bulbs of Spring. So you want me not only to help out with your idealistic side hustle, but also to put myself on the wrong side of the government to get some restricted book. Why do you say that? Like, being on the wrong side of the government is some kind of novel experience for you. Elle, you know what I mean. This is serious. And I'll pay you seriously well for it. <sighs> Look, Jack, I'm following up on this no matter what. If you want in on it, I'll pay you. If you don't, I'll figure it out. Of everyone that I know, Elle, you're the one that shows up with the worst ideas. Mm, remember that time Delilah sold weapons from the Wasp lockup? Alright, you have the second worst ideas, but it's a close second. So are you in? Yeah, Elle, I'm in. But if this starts to go sideways, I'm bugging out and you're coming with me. Deal? <sighs> Deal. Alright, what's your lead? One of my sources spotted the spine of the book on a news program. He doesn't know the context, but he knows that it's in the house of someone named Elias Vanderwall. I haven't heard of him. Me either. I think he's one of those long-time great walkers. You know the type. His money, his house. And his job. Yeah, I know the type. How exactly are you planning on getting in to talk to him? He's a little above my pay grade. I'm going to do what I always do. Dress the part and pretend I'm supposed to be there. Take the train to a station where they haven't ever seen me descend the steps. It's not that hard. Ah. Hence the outfit. Yes. Hence the outfit. Well, I don't have clothes like that, Elle. What's your plan for me? Eh, I plan to give you sunglasses and pretend that you're my security guard. Elle, that never actually works. It works all the time, Jack. Especially with someone like you that wears black, is obviously ripped, and puts off such an intimidating, angry aura. I don't put off an angry aura. Uh-huh, sure, babe. Put these on. We've got a book to find. The sunglasses wound up being a necessary addition. Though it was foggy today and lower, the sun was strong and bright on the grates. I'd never actually bought myself a pair of sunglasses, since I spent almost 95% of my time in lower. You didn't need them when even on the brightest of days, you never really got direct sunlight. The wasp at the train station barely gave us a second glance as we climbed the steps and started through the streets of Upper.
The sounds of our feet on the grates were eclipsed by the sound of the occasional car, and the meandering conversation of the people around us that sat out on restaurant patios or walked beside us, peering into shop windows, or watching the billboard advertisements for the latest and greatest in body reconstruction and enhancement. I felt a little pang of jealousy walking in Upper. A rational part of me knew that I would hate living here. But a part of me always wished that the feeling of the sun on my face was more frequent than the few times a day that I took the trains. Elle turned abruptly from the main street that we had been on and headed through the residential area, scanning the addresses of houses that were almost three times the size of my office-house combination. I the Redeemer. What do you even do with a house this big? Rotten it. This is our stop. As we waited, I took time to count the multiple cars parked along this street. Across from us were two people dressed like drivers that had lit up a smoke and were talking quietly to one another. Another car pulled up and other people exited, heading toward the house, dressed in similar tones to the two men and making the air heavy with a somber feeling. Somebody here must be popular. Afternoon, ladies. The man who had answered the door was dressed entirely in black, his outfit crisp and decadent despite the dark fabric. Afternoon. Please, come in. There were several people in the house as we wound our way deeper, some with eyes so big that it startled me at first to see them, not just because of the size, but because the whites were the kind of raw red that would draw your attention, even if they weren't twice the size they should be. Everyone here was clothed in a similar manner to the butler. Black clothes that, though monochrome, were anything but simple, with wild patterns of embroidery, frills, and layers that must have been hard to move in. Sheesh. Who died? We rounded the corner into a large living room that contained another 20 people or so. At the front of the room was a screen that shuffled through photos of a handsome, blonde-haired man with a square jaw. And just beneath the screen sat an open casket. Fuck. <coughs> oh. Um, sorry. Refreshments are over on that table as well as in the kitchen. Thank you for your attendance, ladies, if you would please excuse me. Hey, Al. What the hell? I know! Why would they put the refreshment table right next to the corpse? Not what I was talking about. Why didn't you tell me this was awake? Well, I didn't know it was going to be awake. If I'd known that, I would have worn something a little different. L. What? I get that it's not your point, but whether or not the guy is dead doesn't change the fact that I need that book. <sighs> Alright. What do you need me to do? I'm going to go snoop around the house. Stay here and send me a message if anyone starts heading in my direction. Elle ducked her head down, wiping out her eyes as though she was crying, and redirected down one of the hallways. How can I avoid talking to these people? Ah, the refreshment table. 
by the Redeemer. This is a long slideshow. How many photos do they have of this guy? Hmm, what do they have? Coffee, strawberries, range chicken. Wait, what the fuck? Range chicken? This plate alone cost as much as my rent. I tentatively took one or two of the bite-sized offerings and turned my back on the table, scanning the room to make sure that everyone was still accounted for. I saw a few leave for the kitchen, but the butler was still here, and the man who I assumed was the husband of the body at the front, since he was in the majority of the pictures, was speaking in hushed tones with another tall, dark-haired man. They stood close together, and the tall man ever so briefly rested a hand on the other's back for a moment before the shorter man jerked away. Out of the corner of my eye, I caught a glimpse of the body and stopped, pausing for a moment before I approached as close as I dared. The body barely resembled the man in the photos that came and went on the screen above him. The strong jawline was now pinched and narrow, the closed eyelids seemingly covering eyes that were much larger than those in the photos. The photo above us now was a picture of him at the Calico, a fancy themed bar that my friend Kitty Grant sang at. The photo actually had her in it, her coy smile and sheer confidence drawing the attention away from even the square-jawed beauty of the man next to her. I glanced around the room once more, both looking out for Elle and noting that there were portraits of the man hung up around the house, paintings of him where he was the only thing of note, center stage. Why would someone so obviously obsessed with how they look get this kind of surgery done? Good afternoon. The man that spoke was of a darker complexion, handsome despite the dark circles and obvious grief in his eyes. No, not quite grief. Maybe worry? Afternoon. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. It's been hard. I'm afraid that I haven't seen you before. I'm Michael, Elias's husband. How did you know him? Oh, um, you can call me Jack. We, um, we both knew Kitty. Ah, yes. The ineffable Kitty Grant. She certainly attracts all types. Yep. Um, how long ago was that photo taken? The picture of Kitty was long gone by now, lost in the shuffle of memories that slid across the screen. I myself had a rough idea of the time frame, given that in it Kitty had bright red hair and we had dyed it about two weeks ago at my apartment while watching Sleepless and Satellite. Oh, I think only a week ago. It just... It happened so fast, you know? <sighs> yeah. Well, the only thing that's certain is death and government. What? Uh, I mean... Of, of course, the, um, um, uncertainty is something that's, you, you know, uh, hard? Uh, yes, it's hard. <clears throat> well, I'm gonna I go really must over, be. um... Yes. Yeah, of course. Sorry for your loss. Yes. Where can I hide? The kitchen, maybe? Elle was still the only person who had left the main room. 
and I gave the butler a polite nod as I passed him in his sentry position. I pulled out my phone as I paused outside the kitchen, sending Elle a message to warn her about the butler, and that she'd better hurry up or I was going to drag her out of this place. I mean, I know he was into organic mods, but why would he do that to his face? I thought he hated the optics mod. He was so rude to Harlan when they got it. I don't know. I can't believe that his body actually rejected it. It's kind of wild that he would die from this mod when he had like 10 of us. Don't you know? It happens all the time, especially with optics. My cousin died of mod rejection on her like 11th, I think. Yeah, I guess. But this is Dr. Belvere's first operational death. That's not gonna look great. Damn it, Elle, you always have the worst timing. I'm coming back. Distract the butler. All right. I can do that. Just have to talk about something normal. Just have to not do what I did talking to Michael. Can I help you, ma'am? Yes. I was wondering if you could maybe point out Dr. Belvere to me, if he's here. He's the tall man over there by the refreshments. Thanks. The man he pointed out was the man the widower had been talking to when he first arrived. He was tall, towering over the other person he was talking to. A hog-eyed woman that had some of the same facial features that the dead man used to have. Their conversation appeared venomous, with her leaning in and jabbing a finger at him. Her eyes red and anger obvious in the flush of her face. Elle was making her way toward me, but I moved forward to the doctor, ignoring her attempted interception. How dare you show your face here! Dr. Belvere? Oh, um... Yes? Please, call me Bartholomew. Bartholomew? A mouthful, I know, uh, but it's a family name. And you are... Jack. How did you know Elias? We met through Kitty. Ah, yes. I hope I'm not being rude, but... What was that all about? Unfortunate business, really, but I cannot blame her for her passion. Elias was her eldest child. Ah, so this is about the mod? Y yes. Like I said, uh, unfortunate business. But mod rejection is somewhat common, especially with new mods like optics. Naturally. When did he get the operation? About, uh, a week ago. Jack, there you are! Uh, uh, please excuse me. I see you're having fun torturing the grievers. And you must have had fun snooping around the entire house, leaving me stranded down here with these people. It was interesting, yes. Did you get your book? I didn't. But we can talk about that back at your house. Let's go. Hold on. I want to see something. What? I thought you were dying to get out of here. Funny. 
Look, something is weird about this guy's death. Jack! L, I let you drag me here to find a book. And what if this is related? And if it isn't related, it might give us some kind of leverage to get the book. You never were good at leaving things alone. <sighs> Alright, fine. What do you need me to do? I need you to lure somebody over to the coffin. You need to be on the side furthest away from me. I swear to the Redeemer, Jack, if you do something stupid... How stupid am I allowed to be? On a scale of one to busting into a wake uninvited to root through someone's belongings to find a restricted book that could get me imprisoned if it was discovered in my possession. Fine. I took up a position at the end of the refreshments table, directly beside the coffin. A few minutes later, I could hear her approaching, her voice wavering as she spoke, like she was fighting back sobbing. I glanced back slightly over my shoulder and saw her getting closer, clutching onto the arm of the reluctant widower, Michael. Of course she had to pick him. I'm never going to be able to show my face to this man ever again. I stepped backwards just in time to crash into the two of them, sending myself and Michael forward into the car. Here, let me help you up. While I struggled to my knees, pretending as though I was trying to help the fallen widower, my eyes were actually glued to the body that had toppled from its rest and onto the ground. The strange, pinched face was pointed in my direction, and the glue on one of the eyelids failed, the eyelids sliding up slightly to reveal one of the hideously modded eyeballs sitting inside the alien-looking skull like a deflated grape. By the Redeemer, this was a mistake. I struggled to my feet, stumbling over the body, making like I was going to put it back in the coffin. I grabbed onto the dead man's shoulder, noticing a large open wound at the back of the head. It ran from almost the crown of his head and down the back of his neck, with thick stitching holding the tightened skin together. A wound like this wouldn't be uncommon with the extent to which his face had been modified, but after a week, if the doctor was any good, which I imagine this one was, he would be able to accelerate the healing at least enough to remove the stitches after a week. What are you doing? The shriek of the woman stopped my investigation dead, and I bolted upright, turning to see Elle helping Michael to his feet as Elias's mother stormed down the center of the room toward us, blonde hair wild about her, and eyes red rimmed and furious. The doctor appeared at Elle's side, pulling Michael into his arms and directing him away from the fray. I caught sight of a brunette man that closely resembled Michael at the back of the room that had a hand clamped over his mouth, either an obvious horror or tamping down a laugh. The sight of his merriment, combined with the vision burned into my brain of Elias's loose, watery eyeball, left me stuttering. Uh, I, I uh, um... Get out! Yep. Everyone, get out! This is over. It's over. Jack? Yeah, El. What the actual fuck? I know, that was a little worse than what I was thinking it would be. We'll talk at my place. Here, have a drink. Ugh, please. 
Well, I would say that today was largely a failure. I don't know if it was a failure, but it was certainly something. Any ideas on your book? No. It was weird. I hit every room in that house. There was this huge library, but almost all of the bookshelves were empty. Who just has empty bookshelves? What's even the point of that? That's the thing. They weren't empty in the news shot, because my contact saw the book sitting on those bookshelves. Do you think that someone else got there before us? Or that they sold it? I don't know. I don't think anyone could have beaten us there. And why would they take the entire library with them instead of just snagging the book? Fair point. So maybe the family did something with them, like box them up for storage or prepping for some kind of estate sale? Well, the good news is I know where the actual funeral service is going to be held and I- L. Today was legitimately the most awkward day of my life. I cannot show up and look those people in their faces again. Ever again. Oh, don't worry. I'll just get you a black veil or something. Very classy. Anyways, they're doing the funeral in a couple of days at the Church of Albany. Get this. They're doing a real burial. They paid off the church and everything to have a plot. Like, body in the ground. Planted. Seriously? A real box party. Yep. Fertilizer. Deep Six. Rose Garden. Skimming the Redeemer. <laughs> okay, but seriously, they're forking over that much money just so that his body can rot in the ground instead of going to the church for research in the flesh tithe? Yeah, I got to talking with the dead guy's sister-in-law and she said that it was written in his will and everything. She seemed to think it was because he didn't want his perfect form being chopped up or something. Well, it seems a little late for that. Did you see that botched mod job that he's got now? Yeah, that was nasty. What were you snooping around for anyways? <sighs> I don't know, Elle. It's just... Something's off. They said that he died due to mod rejection, but the wound wasn't healed at all. Supposedly he'd gotten it a week before, so at least the stitches should have been gone. Also, there was that picture of him with Kitty that had been taken right around the time he got the procedure done. So either he got the surgery right after catching a show at the Calico, or something weird is happening. Do you think it was something to do with the book? You would have a better idea than me. What's even in this book? Well... Wait. No. Don't tell me. I don't know if it has to do with the book. At least, not directly. Some of the people there seem to be not particularly bothered that this guy was dead. The sister-in-law seemed more annoyed that she was there than anything else. Yeah, I noticed some weird stuff with the widower. He seemed worried, not sad. Mm. Well, I'll give you more info on the burial and do some digging to see if anyone knows what happened with his book collection. Stay safe, Jack. Don't poke at things you shouldn't. And you know, probably don't tip over any more bodies. That's not something we need to worry about. Once was enough. Night, Elle. Night, babe. Sometimes it seemed like this kind of thing followed me. Like, no matter where I was, there was something to be uncovered. Something to be found. 
Maybe this not case case was stuck in my head because I trusted the people of Upper almost as much as I trusted a crocodile user with my bank codes. Maybe it was because this one was particularly obvious, or maybe just because I knew how to look. As Two-Step was fond of saying, if you're constantly going to be looking, you better be prepared for what you see. And for better or worse, my eyes were open. The next morning found me sifting through another case I was working, somewhat glassy-eyed, distracted, thinking about the rich man's body. Did this have anything to do with Al's book, or was it just some weird coincidence? I kicked my feet up onto my desk and leaned back, barely picking up on what was happening outside my office until my door opened. An older blonde woman had burst through the door, still wearing a black veil over her face and elbow-length black gloves. Given the way she looked around my office, it seemed like they were less for fashion and more so that she didn't have to touch anything. It's all right, Esther. You can come in. Shut the door behind you. Well, investigator, did you enjoy my son's wake? Not particularly. It was a little bit more eventful than I prefer. Yes. Well, it seems that the two of us agree on that. I assume. And quite frankly, I really hope that you're not here to talk about it. I prefer to put the events of yesterday behind me ASAP. Why? You don't want to talk about your snooping around the wake or your examination of my son's body after you knocked the coffin over? What do you want? It's not illegal to be a nuisance. I want to hire you. What? Please, don't make this conversation more tedious than it already is. I would like to hire you. As I'm sure you've noticed, there's something about my son's death that doesn't make sense. How do you mean? You saw the body. I know that Elias liked his mods, but he detested all facial ones. The closest he came to changing his face was the cover-up, and even then he didn't use it frequently. Preferred his natural looks to anything the industry was throwing out, huh? He was beautiful. Why would he mess up any of that by deconstructing his entire face to fit those ridiculous eyes in his skull? Sure, but people change their minds. And the cause of death was ruled to be mod rejection, wasn't it? Well, yes. But I trust Dr. Belvere as much as I trust a groundwalker to house it. Wow. Thanks. What? You have to admit that lower citizens tend toward particular criminal tendencies. You know what? I don't think I want your business. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. It's been a terrible few days. Please excuse my rudeness. Whatever. Was it Dr. Belvere that did his autopsy? Yes. Is that... normal? It's not uncommon. He is still a classically trained surgeon. And Elias didn't like to see anyone else. Well, a tendency for Mons does not a crime make. Especially since he seems so close with the surgeon. If you don't have anything else, I think we're going to have to move on from this one. I had my own suspicions, certainly, and was definitely being more difficult than I actually needed to be. But I already had a job around this guy, and finding Elle's book was more important to me than helping someone who was so obviously disgusted by everything about me. I do have more, but I'm not going to be doing your job. Lady, I haven't agreed to do this job. 
Of course, investigator. I also happen to know that Elias and Michael were having problems in their marriage. The reason why Elias took time off this last week was to spend it with Michael. He was threatening divorce for some silly reason or another. Right after his night at the Calico, he was planning on taking Michael on a trip around Satellite. It was elaborately planned, a truly wonderful trip, but he canceled it last minute. All right, that's weird. I will pay you double your normal fee to take this case. Why are you hiring me? I know plenty of upper detectives that would gladly take your money. I would have chosen one of them, but you're the only one who saw the body, and the coffin was sealed after your little... fiasco. <sighs> Fine. I'll look into it. Where are some good places to start? Good. Obviously, you can start with Michael and Dr. Belvere. I also have access to my dear boy's secretary, who may know something. Here, consider this your advance. What? I don't really accept that kind- Look, I know how this works. I don't want you getting bought off by someone else, so take the money and know that there's plenty more in it for you when you finish your job. What the hell kind of investigator do you think I am? <laughs> Why, the kind from lower. It took me a full ten minutes to bring myself under control and resist the urge to chase her down and shove the data chip down her throat. I donned my coat, sharing a knowing look with Esther. I'll be out this afternoon. If Elle stops by, tell her I'm topside. For better or worse. horribly fond of the lifts, but sometimes, when the buildings in lower were tall enough, the staircases became unfeasible. I dodged the other people on the platform and ignored the stairs of the wasp that was guarding the steps to upper as he focused in on me. Thankfully, he let me by without badgering. I wasn't always that lucky. Elias's office was in a part of upper that seemed to be one giant, mirror-windowed building after another, and I wandered the maze of advertisements until I all but stumbled into Elias's building. There was a large sign in the front window for optics, which seemed like an interesting choice given that the man himself had died from that particular mod, but I shrugged and shoved the door open. People in Upper rarely seem too bothered by mod-related death, just another necessary part of an unnecessary culture war. The woman inside was young, with blonde hair and a carefully constructed face. There was one other man in the lobby who was otherwise occupied by a tablet, and as I approached the desk, a janitor exited Elias's office and brushed by the seated man. I waited until he stood, tucked his tablet under his arm, and left. There was something about him that looked familiar, but before I could peg what it was, the secretary called me over. Good morning. Welcome to Satellite City Business Management and Acquisition Services. How can I help you today? It looked like maybe she had some mods herself, since I could see two tiny holes just under the edge of her jaw near her ears. As I approached her, I could pick up on an almost cloyingly sweet scent, 
and wondered if that was emanating from her throat or if it was simply her perfume. I was leaning towards the former. Hello, Miss Swango. Are you the secretary for Elias Vanderwall? Yes, ma'am, as well as his business partners. Elias, unfortunately, passed recently. Wait a minute, didn't I see you at the wake? Oh, um, I'm not sure. Yeah, you're the one who fell and knocked over Elias's coffin. By the Redeemer, Miss Vanderwall was screaming mad after that. Yeah, great. I'm glad you remember. Look, I've got some questions for you, if you don't mind. Mrs. Vanderwall hired me to investigate the death of her son. Really? Does she think something suspicious is going on? We just want to make sure that we look into everything carefully and thoroughly. Do you mind answering some questions? Oh, of course, Officer. Investigator. Of course, Investigator. What do you need to know? Right. Great. Is there anyone that you can think of that would want to hurt Elias? Of course not. He was extremely popular not only with his business partners, but almost everyone he met. People loved him. He was almost addictive to be around. Did you know if there was anyone who was jealous of him, or anyone that wanted anything of his? Status, possessions, or otherwise? Possessions? Uh, I mean, yeah. He had some of the rarest pieces I'd ever seen. His library was insane. His book collection was known all around Upper. As for jealousy, lots of people are jealous of Elias, but I wouldn't say they were, like, murderously jealous of him. Like I said, they, like, wanted to be around him or to be him, not to kill him. You'd be surprised what jealousy can lead to. Were there any weird interactions that you observed in the week before his death? Did he seem normal? I mean, I think he was stressed, but that's not too surprising, given what's been happening in his life lately. I thought everything was going great. Certainly seems like he was living one hell of a life from what you've described so far. I mean, yeah, his social life was fantastic, his work life was great, but his home life was in shambles. You didn't hear this from me? Of course not. But I think he was having an affair. You think Elias was having an affair? Why? Well, so I was working late one night and Michael showed up to see Elias. They started arguing with something fierce to the point I like ducked under the desk. I was so embarrassed. Or eavesdropping. What? Nothing. What were they arguing about? I didn't catch all of it, but Elias kept saying things like, I promise it won't happen again. And please, Michael, give me another chance. Yeah, that doesn't sound great. Yeah, and look at these. Are these divorce papers? Yep, though Michael ended up not going through with it after their conversation. So Michael sends over divorce papers, they get into a huge fight, and then... Well, originally they had this huge trip planned all around Soundway, but Michael called and canceled it a few days before they were supposed to leave. He said that they would be staying in town to work on things, which, you know, is just code for having an affair. I mean, my cousin was seeing this person for a while and they... Who do you think he'd be having an affair with? I mean, at this point, all I can do is speculate. Though he did see the doctor an awful lot. Dr. Belvere? Bartholomew? Movement from the corner of my eye caught my attention, and I noticed that the janitor had re-entered the room and started moving closer to the desk. Apparently, eavesdropping was a common pastime in Upper. Yeah, he's the only one Elias would go to for mods. One of the best docs around, though certainly what he did to Michael's face is going to cost him some business. I mean, I know the optics are the new mod and whatever, but by the Redeemer, did you see what he looked like? Yeah, closely. Oh, 
Yeah. Right. But like if someone messed up my face that badly, I would kill them. Thank you for your time, Miss Swango. Oh, well. I'll let you know if there's anything else I need. Have a nice day. I'd gotten what I needed, and the last thing I wanted was to end up listening to her talk about her cousin's affair, or whatever, when what I really needed to do was talk to Michael, or the surgeon. <sighs> Though the sun wasn't out yet, Upper felt lighter in a way that Lower didn't. Maybe it was the weight of the whole city above you that made walking the streets of Lower feel like someone was pressing you into the ground. Right. Michael's house. I think I have the address in one of Elle's messages. Sheesh. I talked to her too much. I stopped briefly to light my pipe. The windows of the building beside me reflecting the scene at my back with a clarity that made it seem as though I was watching it from the other side of the glass. I breathed out a cloud of smoke and watched it disappear from the view in the reflection. A sleek black car passed by, a group of men in suits crossing the street after it. A man with a tablet in hand sat quietly at the bench adjacent to the mouth of an alley, and then a quick flash of color ducking down one of the alleys. I placed my pipe carefully back in my mouth, watching the opening of the alley for the appearance of the color again. It emerged slowly, painfully, a blob of fabric plastered against the wall of the alleyway like a misplaced mod advertisement plastered to the cement. Whatever it was, whoever it was, they were looking at me. I turned slowly, continuing on my way watching as the figure peeled itself from its hiding spot to continue tracking me, gaining slowly as they moved from a group of people to taxi stop, window shopping to digging through their bag. I caught a flash of some metal in their purse and slipped my hand into my jacket, unclipping the shoulder holster so that if worse came to worse, it would all come down to the speed of the draw. They carried on the game for another few blocks as I made my way slowly toward Michael's house. I paused at the edge of an alley, tapping out the tobacco in my pipe onto the ground. I dug my phone from my pocket and pretended to take a call, stepping a little further down the alley and ducking into a doorway. Funny, I thought I only had to watch my back and lower. Who are you and why are you following me? The man had brunette hair and such a striking resemblance to Michael that for a moment, I could have sworn it was him. Wait. You are at the wake. Will you let go of me? No. What is it with you people? Am I going to run into the entire funeral guest list today? Look, I didn't mean to frighten you. You just meant to stalk me. No. Well, yes. I mean, okay. Can we just talk? Oh? About what? I want to make you an offer. I'm two for two on uninvited great walkers giving out offers I didn't ask for. What do you want? I want you to drop the case. I'll pay you double whatever Julia offered. Julia? Miss Vanderwall. How do you know if she even hired me? Because I followed her this morning to your office. Her showing up at my office doesn't mean I accepted a job. But you coming to Elias's place of work certainly makes it seem like it. I don't know how many private investigators you've worked with, but I'm not a wasp. 
I don't just go with the highest bidder. It's a contract. Whatever. You can buy yourself out of any contract for the right price. Buy the Redeemer. Oh, don't be ridiculous. If you were any better than the rest of us, you wouldn't be working for such a tedious bitch and her monster of a son. Why do you say that? The secretary said everyone loved Elias. Yeah, right. People were jealous of him, but that's not the same thing. He deserved what happened to him. He deserved to die because he was having an affair? That seems a little harsh. What? I didn't know he was having an affair. Well, then why does he deserve what happened to him? Because he was an abusive asshole. If he didn't die, I would have killed him myself for what he did to my brother. I paused, scanning the man's face for any hint of falsehood and coming up empty. But then I'd always found it harder to read people in Upper. Either the mods they had changed the structure of their face, or the tone of their voice, or their regional tics didn't line up with what I was used to dealing with in Lower. Whichever it was, I was having a hard time picking up on if he was telling the truth. Do you think the mods killed him? I mean, that's what the autopsy said. Yeah, but if you thought that was the case, then what's the harm in having a PI look into things? Because I know how deep Julia's pockets are, and there's no way that you aren't rolling around in them. Ah, so you think I'm dirty. Well, you are fr- Did you just strike me? Keep your money, and know that if I find something, you won't know about it until the wasps show up. Wait! The doctor was out of his office, and I found his secretary to be far less gossipy, and thus far less helpful, than Margaret had been. I stepped out of the biological chop shop and onto the streets as the light began to fade, and, frustrated, headed toward home. What I really needed was a drink. Dealing with Upper always left a bad taste in my mouth, so being this entrenched in it made me think I should scrub my body down until I'd scraped off the whole top layer of skin. I descended into the darkness below the grates with a feeling of relief that only continued to grow until I collapsed onto my couch. The only thing I knew for sure was that everyone involved in this shit show of a case was hiding something. A man with a restricted book dies a mysterious death. He was maybe having an affair. He was maybe abusive. But either way, he wound up in a coffin headed for church property, which was ridiculous in itself. Elle and I had poked fun of it, but spending the amount of money that it would have cost to have a burial instead of participating in the flesh dive was a monumental waste of resources. Hmm? Must have dozed off. What the hell? Why do I have a missed call from Elle? What are all these messages? Hey, hey Jack, Jack, I'm coming, I'm coming over. over. Got, Got some, some case, case news I want to talk about. about. Jack, I'm here. Open up, your door is locked. Look at you enforcing a work-life balance. 
But I don't count, so let me in. Jack? There's someone across the street watching me. Fuck. There's two of them now, Jack. Open the door, please hurry. L? Damn it! They're coming this way, Jack! L? About half a block away and starting across the street were two men, one of which I recognized as the guy that had been in Elias's office on the tablet. The other's face I couldn't quite catch, but I did notice the janitor's uniform that he still had on under his coat. L, come on! Come on, get upstairs. Just break the glass. Officer Smith, Jack Hart here. I need you to come by the office. We've got two suspicious individuals. Yeah, perfect. I'll see you in a second. They might be dangerous, so load up. Come on, the walk are coming. When I made it back to the apartment, Elle was already standing at the side of the window, peeking through the blinds. It looks like they're taking off. Did you actually call Officer Smith? No. I haven't talked to him since Esther's case. Eh, makes sense. Alright, they're gone. For now. Thanks, Jack. That's comforting. I wouldn't be worried. Just stay here tonight. Even a wasp contingent couldn't get through these doors. Ugh. So, did you recognize those guys? It kinda seemed like they were scoping out your place. Nah. Well, kinda. I don't know them personally, but I think they've been following me for part of today. They were at Elias's office when I was interviewing his secretary. Yeah. Esther mentioned you'd taken a job that sent you topside. You looking into Elias's death? Yep. His mother hired me. Really? Even after you knocked over his coffin and rolled around for a little while with his body on the floor? All right, it wasn't that bad. It was pretty bad, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so what's up, Elle? I assume you didn't show up to make fun of me for bad decisions. Because if that were the case, we'd be here all night. I mean, well, I will be here all night, but no, that's not why I came. I figured out where the funeral service is going to be. They're having it tomorrow at the easternmost church property in the New York district. And you're just telling me this because it's a fun fact, right? No, I'm telling you this because we're going to go. I need to find out what happened to this guy's book collection, and the people there are going to be the ones most likely to know about it. Great. I'm sure they'll all be thrilled to see me. Oh, don't worry. I won't let you anywhere near the body. <laughs> Elle? What are you thinking? Jack, I... I'm really sorry I got you into this. I didn't think anyone else would have caught on to the lead or I would have done this differently. I don't know if those guys out there were here for Elias or for me, but I Elle, think- Elle, it's fine, really. This is my job, you are my friend, and two random thugs looking for a book are hardly the scariest people I've crossed in my lifetime. If anything, I should be worried about you getting seen walking in here. Don't beat yourself up about it. If worse comes to worse, I've got an alarm system and a gun. And if they get past the first one, they certainly aren't going to make it past the second.
there was a single road with sidewalks on either side that led from the train station out toward a small wooded area where the steeple of a church could be seen poking through the treetops. It was one of the strategies of the church that was supposed to help unite the parishioners, whether from upper or lower. We all walk to church. What's our plan again, Elle? To blend in and schmooze with the party guests to see if we can find out what happened to his book collection. I don't think it'll be hard. Just try not to knock over any bodies. Yeah, alright. I'll do my best. I kept my eyes peeled for the two men that we had encountered the night before, but there were too many people wearing veils and hats that obscured their faces for me to be able to identify anyone effectively. The service was being held outdoors, since Elias had paid the insane price to be physically buried and avoid the flesh dive. He had gone above and beyond, opting for an obnoxiously large mausoleum instead of an old-fashioned gravestone. It was made of gorgeous, shining white stone, the front obstructed with a heavy wrought iron gate. There was also a notable guard presence, which wasn't unusual in these kinds of situations. It wasn't uncommon for someone to pay to avoid the flesh tithe, only to have their body scavenged and parts sold in the illegal trade anyways. Some people employed guards to hang around for the first week or so. Some utilized microscopic robots called proteobacs that would consume any organic matter they had touched in about a day. Those got tricky, since they could also easily spread to anyone else who touched the body, and they weren't picky about what they consumed. Elle and I stopped at the back of the crowd. Across the church's grand lawn, I caught sight of a towering figure, head tucked, moving swiftly toward the doors of the cathedral proper. I recognized the rigid stature of the figure as Dr. Belvier. Where do you think he's going? I don't know. Maybe he was overwhelmed with grief. There's rumors he was in love with dear Elias. The preacher's homily was thankfully short. Maybe they just didn't want to leave the casket in the open for too long, given what had happened last time. Across the lawn of chairs and funeral goers, I caught sight of Michael excusing himself, wiping at his eyes and clutching at the front of his shirt, making some excuse that I couldn't hear as he moved away from the guests and beelined for the cathedral. I gave him a head start and then followed, watching as he vanished through the archway. There you are. I don't think I can do this anymore. No one's sure. His mother won't stop glaring at me, and my brother said she's hired a private investigator. Michael, Michael, calm down. They won't be able to find anything. I promise. He'd written in his will to cover him with audio back. It's safe now, Michael. Listen to me. It's safe now, I promise. I don't know what I had been expecting, but as the door swung open, I was caught off guard by the sight of Michael and the doctor struggle to escape from a tangled embrace. Don't move. <laughs> no, it's not! This is what it looks like! So there was an affair with the good doctor, just not with Elias, huh? Nobody wants to talk? Alright, let me guess what happened. 
Dr. Bartholomew Belvier killed a man on his operating table so that he could be with a deceased man's husband. You managed to cover it up as a bad reaction to the modification. That, that's not what happened. Yes, it is. That's what happened, investigator. Take me in. I won't resist. Michael stared at Bartholomew, mouth agape, tears welling in his eyes and flowing down over his cheeks. The doctor, for his part, ignored Michael's gaze, staring at me with a clenched jaw and a look of determination. Something was off. There's something else happening here, isn't there? Michael, are you going to let him take the fall for you? I did it. Investigator, I- No, you didn't. Am I right, Michael? <laughs> Tell me what happened. Elias was going to kill him. It was always bad, but when Michael tried to leave him, Elias pulled a gun on him in the fight for it. The gun went off and, and it hit Elias. Shit, how did I not think of that? The bullet hit him in the face, right? What? How did you- That horrible mod job. It was a cover-up. You gave him the optics operation after he was shot in the head in order to hide the wound and cover up the murder. Plus, no one is held liable in the event of death due to a mod rejection, so you'd both get out free. <laughs> please, please, investigator. It was an accident. I, I didn't mean to kill him. He just... He was so terrifying. I, I knew he was going to kill me this time. You can't hold Bartholomew responsible for this, please. Just take me in. No, it wasn't your fault. It wasn't his fault. He was defending himself from a monster. Please, you have to understand. Shut, just shut up, both of you. By the Redeemer, why didn't you just go to the police? Because who would have believed me? Everyone loved Elias. His mother would have had me put to death. I'm sure of it. Sometimes the job was easy. More often than not, it was just desperate people in desperate situations, struggling to hold on to any part of satellite that they could, fighting for those sliver of lights through the grates, even in the sunshine of upper. Look, I can pay you. I can pay you anything you want. Please, just don't turn us in. Jack, bad news. Wait, what's happening here? Nothing. These two were just leaving. Thank... Thank you. Just go. What was it really? Michael killed Elias on accident when Elias threatened him with a gun. The doctor helped him cover it up. So while I figure out whether or not to turn them into Elias' rabid mother for a death sentence, why don't you tell me the other bad news that I have the opportunity to deal with? I found the book. And? It's in the mausoleum. It's what? It's in the mausoleum. He was literally buried with his book collection. By the Redeemer, what even is the point of that? Selfishness, which, given what we've learned about this guy, is pretty on brand. Well, shit, Al. I'm sorry. 
Why? Well, that's kind of the end of the line, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, Jack, I think that maybe we can just wait until night and break in. You want me to be a grave robber? Oh, please, that sounds so base. We're not stealing his body, we're just taking one of his books. That's still grave robbing. If you can afford an earthen burial in this economy and you actually follow through with it, you deserve to be robbed. Beside, you can't read when you're dead. It's not like he'll notice. L. I'll bring your favorite wine to the next sleepless meetup. Real wine. Farm. Grown. Deal. It better be the rosé. Of course. Fine. Let's get out of here and go change. If we're robbing a grave, I'm not going to wear my good shoes. crouched further back in the graveyard, behind mausoleums much smaller than the ones we were targeting. We could see light shifting at the entrance to the graveyard, and a couple of shadows drifting between them. Every so often one guard would peel away to walk the perimeter, while the other would stay standing guard. All right, El, we've got Johnny positioned near the church. When we send him a message, he'll create enough of a ruckus that hopefully the guards will be distracted. Perfect. What's he going to do? No idea. I just told him that he needed to get the guards away, and he said he had an idea. Well, this'll be interesting. And there goes guard number one. Now, Johnny. By the Redeemer, is he carrying a shovel? looks like a cartoon of a grave robber. I mean, the shovel over his shoulder, all in black, dark black eyeshadow. He really went all in. Is... is his face painted white? Damn it, Johnny. You! Stop where you are! Oh shit. Hey! I said stop! Come back here! All right, come on. Though the gate was heavy, it appeared that the family had gone for style over substance as far as the lock went. The gate let out a quiet groan as it swung open, and we ran inside, shutting it behind us so that it wouldn't be standing ajar if the guards got back before we found the book. Once we were inside, Elle lit a dim lantern and the two of us set to work in silence, keeping an ear out for returning footsteps. The book we were looking for had a green cover with yellow text, flowers on the cover, no author listed. The interior of the mausoleum was lined with books, Elias's coffin made of a dark, heavy wood. I could barely pick up on a soft whirring noise, and, momentarily distracted from my task, 
took a small step forward. Part of the wooden coffin had started to deteriorate, and I watched as tiny veins spread out from the hole in the corner to continue down the sides. Through the hole, I could just make out in the darkness the collapsing visage of Elias Vanderwall as the modified flesh of his face was consumed by an unseen army of proteobacks. Don't touch the coffin. Crawling with flesh eaters? Teeming with them. I'll bet Bonnie and Coffin will be gone by morning. No wonder the security is so light. Uh, hopefully they don't reach the books. There isn't a lot of stone between them. L. Found it! Hands off the gun, investigator. I slid to a stop, barely in front of the coffin, a curse on my lips. Elle's face was pale, even in the warm light of the lantern, as she lifted the book into the air with one hand. The second man stepped even with the first, eyeing the book with a smile. You're the guys that have been following me. Actually, investigator, we are following her. Finding you in your little case was just a happy accident. Simon, get the book. I don't think so. Investigator, please don't make me shoot you yet. Jack, it's okay. There are other copies. This isn't worth it. There won't be more if we get to them. In fact, pretty lady, why don't you just toss that book there into the coffin? Our little friends will eat it right up. You don't... You don't even want the book? Nah, our employer just wants to make sure that groundwalkers like you don't get your grubby little fingers on them. Who's your employer? That's above your pay grade, investigator. Simon, she's not gonna do it. Go get the book. Well, too bad you guys were here. Sorry about this, but you know, loose ends and all. L, no! Before I could turn to see what had happened to L, the man with the gun tumbled forward, revealing the wasp that had been walking the perimeter of the graveyard behind him. Damn you, I'll... No, no, not the protea! Immediately, the man on the coffin began to paw at his clothing, his skin, pulling at his hair as the proteobacks did what they did best, eat. He threw the book wide, and it bounced off one of the shelves and tumbled to the ground toward the coffin, stopping a few inches short of it, lying haphazard on the stone. I watched it as it lay there, waiting to see the obvious signs of decay that meant it had been contaminated with proteobacks. I'd heard one too many horror stories of people having to chop off limbs to stop the spread to really want to touch it. So, you're here for the book. Do you have your ticket? The wasp had his gun in his left hand, with his right hand over his heart, thumb pointed upward. It was a gesture I hadn't seen before. Oh, yeah, we are. Train leaves at 1210. Well then, you'd better get moving. Hate for you to be late. One of your resistance buddies, I take it? Luckily. Do you think it's safe to pick it up? Probably. But the price of being wrong is a high one. Well, fuck it. We can't stay here, right? Elle, are you sure that this is worth it? If you're wrong about this, the best scenario is that you lose a hand. There is great beauty in decay, and when I've spent my final days, I hope that when they call my lot, I can afford the grace to rot. What? It's a line from the bulbs of spring, one that's 
quoted by people disgusted with the inability to enshrine our dead or give them a lasting home or even a headstone because the price of death is a price too high to pay in this city or to this church. Everyone knows that line, but no one knows the one that follows it. The last stanza of the book is the one that should be read, the one that should be known, but it's so rare to find that no one remembers it. I saw it once and only once in the home of a watchdog who wouldn't let me see any more than that. See, the ending of the book is, but if my body must be burned and I find I have no place interred, then may the ground where I could cling be a fertile bed for the bulbs of spring. Before I could say anything else, before I could stop her or take the book myself, Elle bent down and grabbed the green-covered book, delicate flowers inlaid in gold on the cover, pages askew on the stone. By the Redeemer, Elle, you're going to be the death of me. We are what we sacrifice for, Jack, and I'll never forget what you've given for me. early for you to be calling, Jack. Sorry about that, Kitty. I just had a question. Speak fast. I need my beauty sleep. Did you know a guy by the name of Elias Vanderwall? Blonde, blue eyes, strong jaw? Yeah, I did. A big roller who used to blow ridiculous amounts of money at the club. Why are you asking after a man like that? I didn't think he was your type. You'd be right, and I don't know if you heard, but he's dead. Oh, that's a shame. That sounded sarcastic. Hmm, did it now? Maybe that's because I don't tend to enjoy people like him. Didn't you take a photo with him like a week ago? Yeah, the night I found out what he liked to do to Paul Michael... I got him banned from the club after that. That bad? That bad. The guy was a monster, Jack. Satellite spins a little steadier now that he's off of it. Right. Well, thanks. I, I guess. Always, Jack. See you for the sleepless premiere? Wouldn't miss it. <laughs> Mrs. Vanderwall, I see you got my message. What do you mean you're dropping the case? Sorry, Mrs. Vanderwall. Don't have the time, the inclination, the whatever. Here's your money back. You'll have to find someone else for the case. You were the only one to see the body, and it's gone now. No one else will have that. You saw the body. Describe it to him. Do you think that this is justice? Letting it go? Letting all of this rot? Justice? Maybe not. Judgment? Maybe. I demand that you finish this case. That man deserves to pay for what he did to my boy. 
If I were you, I don't know that I'd take the stance of people getting what they deserve. Well, I hope you can live with yourself for this. Turning your back on all that you stand for. You don't know what I stand for well enough to know if this will even keep me up at night. Fair. I suppose I should have known better than to turn to a ground-walking, deplorable, lower rat to do what is right. <gasps> Lady, get the fuck out of my office before I personally introduce you to the ground. Jack, honey, are you all right? Fine, Esther. Everything's great. There's a man named Michael on the line. Naturally. He says he wants to speak with you. Tell him I'm not interested. Tell him I'm not interested in talking to him, I'm not interested in seeing him, and I'm not interested in his case. And tell him he doesn't have to worry about me, but that if I were him, I'd sell all my things and leave town with the doctor. Okay? He'll know. Tell anyone that calls that I'm out for the rest of the day. I'm going to the gym. Um, Jack? L. I take it you decided to drop the case? Yeah. Not sure if it was the right thing to do? No, I'm not. But the look on Michael's face when we were in that church... I don't know, Elle. I've seen it too many times. I'm tired of doing the right thing or following the law, only to have it hurt people that are already broken. If Vanderwall wants to push this further, then she can hire someone else to do it. Law doesn't dictate morality, Jack. And rarely do you get out of anything without hurting someone. You know I support you no matter what, right? Yeah, well, I know. Wish it helped me feel better about this. Feel better about what, kid? I looked up, making eye contact with a tall, wiry man that had started to get a bit of a gut. He wore dark jeans and a white tank top, and had a pipe in his mouth even though it wasn't lit. His eyes were hard, glittering, and seemed to be aware of everything in the gym despite the fact that they were focused, piercingly, on me and me alone. It was a gaze I found both comforting and unsettling, and had since I first started training under him over a decade ago. Not sure if I made the right call, Two-Step. Not uncommon. No, I suppose not. Well, two things matter here, kid. First, did you get in the ring? Yeah, I got in the ring. Second, did you fight like hell? Yeah, I fought like hell. I said, did you fight like hell? Yeah, I fought like hell. Then you did what you could, Jack. Now hands up and clean up your stance. No kid of mine's gonna square up like that. Not even to a bag.
A special thank you to some of our backers from the thank you from the bottom of our heart tier. Thank you, Emily Armitage. Thank you, Brooke Lawn. Thank you, Mohammed Saqib. And thank you, Mark Rath. Thank you, all of you. It's nice to be in business, and it wouldn't have happened without you. Heartbeat Podcast is written and produced by Aaron Bentley and edited by our audio engineer, Bella Bongiorno. Before we get into the roles, a special shout out to Tiffany Perry and Sydney S. for the name submissions of Bartholomew and Margaret Swango. To quote Sydney, Fargo Season 3's Nikki Swango is a bad bitch with a great coat. <laughs> While our Margaret Swango likely doesn't live up to that reputation, we're still grateful for your support. The role of Jack Hart is voiced by Becca Austin, and the voice of Bartholomew, Jay Murphy, and Johnny is Levi Austin. Elle was voiced by Katherine Kern. The voice of Esther Rose was Amanda Biggs, and Mrs. Vanderwall and the Cemetery Guard were voiced by Jaden Bremond. Kitty Grant was voiced by Ali Soretto. Michael is voiced by Jace Flanagan, and Michael's brother and several extras were voiced by Brady Robshaw. Margaret Swango and most of the remaining extras were voiced by Claudia Richburg. And the City of Satellite was voiced by Aaron Bentley. Our intro, outro, and background music were written by Veronica Harris, and you can find more of her work on her SoundCloud linked in our description. Want to reach out or tell us what you think? Want to lend your talents to the show or send us pictures of your dog? Then shoot us an email at heartbeatpodcast at gmail.com. Heart spelled H-A-R-T. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at heartbeatpodcast, spelled exactly the same. Thank you so much for listening, and may you all bask in the glory of Satellite. <laughs>